Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. I'm a professional intuitive, but I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Saturday, March 7th, 2020, as I record this introduction. This week I'm interviewing Tracy Natarajan about their near-death experience and the resulting lessons learned while healing from a stroke. Those of you who know my own story will find it noteworthy that Tracy was not aware that I had also suffered a stroke. We discovered some powerful synchronicities around the goddess Kali as well, which made for a fun post-show chat. But our conversation here is ultimately about how, as much as we would like to have a spiritually significant meaning to assign to the traumatic events in our lives, releasing the need to understand or to have an answer to the question why allows us to heal in ways that aren't dependent on simple cause and effect. That conversation is coming up in just a few moments. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or a concern you have. Hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra message. Before I forget, I want to say a quick but special thank you to returning supporters on Patreon and to those who edit their pledges down a level or two. I know that when your budget tightens up, you could just as easily pull your support entirely. I get apologetic emails and messages through Patreon explaining your changes in circumstances, which I appreciate. But please know how grateful I am for any amount of time you've supported the show in the past and for any amount of support you have given thus far. Thank you to all of you who continue to pledge. It demonstrates that you want the show to continue, and that means a lot to me. To find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing more of these episodes, and access extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shiftyourspirits. It's all part of this overarching mess of things that happened all at one time. Um, I had been experiencing a year of weird symptoms, like fatigue, but not fatigued enough that I couldn't still do things. You know, just it was this feeling of being heavy all the time and um, enlarged liver stuff, just weird little symptoms that weren't enough to point in one direction at the time, just, you know, maybe take some antidepressants or take um, something for the liver. And wasn't until one day in March of 2014, I went to um, go lie down because I was, I had my sleep schedule flipped at the time. And I it was going to bed at like eight or nine in the morning. I went to go lay down and um, it f- I had this feeling in my brain that it wasn't, I wasn't quite there and I thought it was odd. So I got up and I walked out into the living room and figured I'd, you know, walk it off, see if it was just vertigo or something. But I got out to the living room and I got as far as to where the cats were and I remember reaching out to open the blinds and just 
it was like I wasn't I was watching myself do things, but I was I couldn't place myself in the equation. I was just watching and then I was kneeling and then I was keeled over on my side. And it was I wasn't really in my body at that point. And it was interesting because I felt so comforted. I felt like everything would be okay if I just went to sleep, but it was a choice. I could go to sleep and lean into this comfort and lean into this opportunity because it did feel like it was an opportunity. Um, I didn't feel that at the time necessarily, but uh, there was this realization, you know, from a higher part of my consciousness that said, you can, you can just go to sleep if you want to. Um, and I didn't remember exactly what happened next until long after. Um, but I do remember now looking back and feeling like I was greeted by, um, <laughs> torch-bearing gods, um, torch-bearing deities. And I don't know if they were necessarily gods. I feel like it was, you know, my higher self reaching out to me in a way that I could understand. Um, And I was talking with them and I was walking with them. And um, the one I remember the most is Kali and walking on cremation grounds with her and just knowing that from my past experiences working with her that um, she could remove the veil and walk me to my next life or she could place the veil back over me and I could come back. Um, And now sometimes I still look back and I know that she's not the only one there, but I, the realizations come later that there were other energies there. Um, and it was just kind of like, it's so hard to describe and it just sucks cause I'm an author. <laughs> I should know how to, I should know how to talk good. Um, <laughs> but I just felt like I'd come home almost just this feeling of being surrounded and comforted and not in my body. Um, I didn't see myself from the outside anymore during that point in time. I saw myself as um, being with this group of loving, caring guides who were basically telling me that I had the opportunity to let go um, or <laughs> I could choose to stay, um, but there were going to be challenges if I did that. If I chose to stay, I was going to have to fight because part of my sole purpose up to the point of the near-death experience was fulfilled, um, and it was fulfilled through an, an, a lot of illness, um, and I still don't know what the point of that was. <laughs> I still don't know what the point of my having been ill was. And I was told that it's not for me to know. 
um, because it's just kind of, it was a ripple that's going to affect more people than I could ever imagine. Mm. Um, but I chose, I did choose to come back and it, the moment I did, I was in my body again. And that sucked <laughs> because I couldn't move half of my entire body. It was completely paralyzed. Um, the entire right side was paralyzed. I was sitting or was laying on my side on the floor next to an armchair. And I knew, you know, if I'm in a fight, I'm going to have to call the ambulance or something. But to get to the phone, I was going to have to get around the stupid armchair to the side table where the phone is sitting. And that was the longest 45 minutes of my life. Just mm. that fight and struggle to get to that phone. It was like confirmation of what I was going to end up doing if I wanted to stay is that part of it was undoing everything that got to that point. But I had this feeling though, if I could get to the phone and I could get it sorted out and I got seen by the right doctors, I just had this feeling that everything was going to be okay because I'd been told it would be okay as long as I'm willing to fight. And I guess for me, the near death experience was more of a knowing and a conversation in retrospect, but it, it helped. It did everything because I, even though it took me 45 minutes to drag myself around this stupid chair and pull the phone down on top of me, but I grabbed the table legs and yanked the phone on its side until the phone fell on my head. But it was almost a metaphor for what I was going to have to do. And I ended up at the hospital. They diagnosed it initially as a hemiplegic migraine, but then the next day they found evidence that I'd had a, a massive stroke. Um, <laughs> and it was because my heart had failed and it had failed spectacularly, and not just a little bit, it was 10% ejection fraction. They were talking about putting me on the transplant list and the whole time I'm just sitting there going, no, it's gonna be okay. Just put me on the meds it's going to be fine. And I knew it was going to be fine because I was told it was going to be fine. I was told if I fight to stay and I continue that fight, then I was going to be okay. Um, and I even had the, the doctor on call put in my notes when he released me from the hospital finally that he thought I had serious mental issues and I wasn't coping well <laughs> because I was, he thought it was, you know, in denial. I wasn't in denial. I knew, I knew it was going to be okay. And they put me on a bunch of nasty high dose heart meds and stuff that made me feel like crap. But within the first three months, they did continual testing, continual echoes and my heart rate Oh, yeah, my heart rate, my ejection fraction kept increasing until a year, almost exactly a year later, it, my heart was functioning normally. It just, I knew. I knew it was going to be fine. And I don't, 
it's interesting though because I don't know how much of that meshes with other people's experiences that I uh, with near death. It it didn't feel light. I felt comforted. I felt like I was surrounded by entities or energy, um, however um, you want to see it, who had my best interests at, at heart. And I feel like I made a choice. And I feel like that's the most important thing I took from that is that it's always a choice. Um, we all we always have these choices that come up. Um, and that choice to fight was a big one because I hadn't before. I'd been living, you know, with these illnesses that would come up and anytime something good had happened, I felt so depressed because I was just so unhappy knowing that that was transitory, that eventually the other shoe would drop and my health would suck again. This is the first time I was like, you know what? No, it's going to be okay. I'm going to figure it out. It's going to be okay. Um, and it, that's exactly what happened. I think there are a lot of things about your NDE that are kind of patterned after the other people that I've spoken with. Mickey's story in particular I'd love to go back and look at my notes because I write down keywords as you're talking, you know, things that are lighting up for me or that I want to come back to. And I was writing down, you know, comfort and home, the sense of being surrounded by people who had your best interests, by entities, by spirits, um, and the choice to come back. Those are all like I'd love to flip back and my notes and make a horrible amount of noise and see um, if I wrote down those kind of same keywords when I was listening to her story because I do think that that is kind of the archetype, I guess, right? I I I would think so. Um, I have seen some things where there's it it's similar to what happened where there's people waiting for you whether it's in my case it was I feel like every entity that I spoke with was really just kind of a template for the energies I'd been working with and my higher self um because I work with thought forms a lot um so it doesn't surprise me that it would be a panel of um basically thought forms of deities and stuff that had greeted me, but it felt that I know has been um, common for a lot of people, not necessarily that there's thought forms or deities or, you know, spirit guides waiting for them, but that there is some energy, some person waiting for them, some spirit of some kind. Um, and I do feel like a lot of people, they have those conversations and they don't know that they've had them. How long was it after the medication that you went on when you were released from the hospital, you know, the doctors were like, she's in denial and you were like, no, I'm going to be okay. 
how long was it after that before you kind of integrated this experience back into your conscious memory? And how did that even occur? I, gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to remember because I feel like it just kind of started working into my daily life as I was on these meds and as I was fighting to come back. I had to almost relive that idea of a choice over and over and over again because some days I was so out of it because metoprolol, that's the beta blocker they had me on, it's horrible for young people. It makes you feel like death. Um, helps heal your heart, but it makes you feel awful. Mm-hmm. Um, there were days when my success was remembering to take my medications. <laughs> mm. That was the whole, that was the whole point of the day. I took my medications. The rest of the day, I was out. Um, but I felt like, and I made a note of it at one point. You know, I felt this affinity to a phoenix, and at that point, I started really examining what did happen when I was out um, of my body. And I'm still being shown things. I feel like there are times when I need to remember um, what happened and the decisions that I made and also that comfort and unconditional love. And sometimes they'll show me something new even now. Um, They'll show me this person was there or this guide was there or this energy was there. Um, And that I can work with that because they're there to support me and they've always been there to support me. It's that it's almost like it put an anchor there in that spot. It anchored me into knowing that I have the support I need. Not that I always remember that (laughs) because I'm actually in a a point now where I'm having to remind myself again why I fight. And um, the last years, last few years have been really rough um, with relationship kind of stuff going on. But it's, uh, they show me still on days when I'm just like, I don't know why sometimes I don't know why I didn't, I didn't just go. There are times when I wonder that and they'll show me, um, an energy or they'll surround me with that feeling of comfort again. And it's like sitting in that space now that I know it's there. And now that I know how to access it, it renews things. Was there a relationship before this experience with these type of archetypes and guides or deities? Was this something that you thought about intellectually prior to this? I, yes, because I had been using some of um, those guides as... um, 
I don't want to say using. I wasn't using the guides. I was um, working with them. Yeah. Um, mostly it, the the big one was Kali, and I just as soon as I started learning about her, because my husband's family is Hindi. Um, as soon as I started learning about her and about um, what she actually does um, by giving us the safety of the veil as we come into this life and then removing it as we leave and she takes us to the next. There's something about her that had always kind of appealed to me. And I did a lot of research into her and I sat with her energy a lot. And with her specifically, I can remember my first um, experience of actually channeling her. And I was working for, I was working for Bank of America at the time. <laughs> and I was not happy because I was working in the foreclosure department. It was awful. Um, this was, I think, back in 2011. Oof. So it was, you know, just after they had purchased Countrywide and it was a disaster. But I remember asking her if she would show me um, what it is that I'm doing to make myself so miserable at this job. Because I was like, it's, it's, yeah, it's an unpleasant department to work in as, as a whole but I felt like there's something else I was doing really strongly felt like I needed guidance because I was that there was part of me that wasn't being authentic while I was at work so she sat with me I felt her sit into my spirit and then I kind of like took a back seat so I was watching myself from above and behind and it was the most eye-opening, most disgusting thing I'd ever seen because I saw myself making myself small by changing the way that I spoke with my supervisors, by, you know, by make, being little and apologizing a lot. And I was making myself so small. And I just remember watching myself doing it and wanting to go throw up. So she, I had worked with her, mm-hmm. and she was kind of the one who would lift that veil a little. Be like, okay, here's a peek into what you're doing, because this is what's happening, and it's something you can work on. Um, so it didn't, it doesn't surprise me in retrospect that I walked with Kali on cremation grounds, but they still kind of. <laughs> occasionally show me that there's new guides there recently it's been um hecate and hermes and learning about them and learning about them doing um as torch bearing deities um has been really insightful because i've taken a lot of what i've gone through and that integration of the things that are painful and difficult and I do a lot of shadow work with um, my clients where we work together to own our stories and own the emotions that come up from the stories and then 
use that as momentum to integrate the things that we had pushed away. And I feel like I'm still doing that. I'll still be shown, I'll have guides that I've never worked. I had never worked with Hecate, not ever. And I had never worked with Hermes and they just kind of popped in. And I knew that I needed to work with them for a little while. So I, I, it's just uncanny though, because I, when these new guides come up, most of the time I can look back and I can see and they, they were there. I can feel that they were there. It's just like a, the blanket of calm that was there. I could feel some guides that I recognized at the time, but there were so many more. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's because kind of like that fog of energy and comfort and love is there were more deities and more guides hiding in that space and they're there to continue to help me if I choose to fight I would imagine and don't let me put words in your mouth but in trying to think about how that would work this kind of rolling disclosure of um, these entities coming forward I suppose that when you're in that place you're somewhat out of time you know you're you're traveling inter interdimensionally maybe um you have an ability at soul level to just receive this huge you know fractal crystalline universe of information that you know your conscious mind in the human body can't really break that down you know what I mean? Without yeah. kind of having it um, given to you in pieces and maybe put into some kind of order and context that makes sense. It's kind of like um, if you were writing that as a story um, or maybe it was like a series of movies or something, you could have that moment where we're shown all these you know, entities at once and then there are sort of individual episodes where each one of them gets to kind of come forward and present and focus on what it is that they're doing with you. Um, so for me, there's this question of like, is it kind of all happening at the same time anyway? Um, on, and is there some dimension where that's the truth? You know what I mean? I feel like that's the case because... Well, and I, I believe that all things are happening at the same time anyhow because I've lived parallel lives in the same lifetime in different periods of history where, you know, part of me is in this timeline and the other part is in the 1600s. Um, and it was happening concurrently. So I feel very strongly that there's, an entire dimension that encapsulate, encapsulates that choice. Mm. Um, and that it's there for me to step into if I need it. And it's like I'm experiencing the same thing, but from a different perspective every time. How long was it after this happened that you started working with other people? Like, talk to me a little bit about how the experience 
kind of opened you up maybe as um, a professional intuitive? <laughs> okay. So that actually took a while. Um, <laughs> I kept trying to force myself into little bubbles. Oh, I'm a tarot reader. Oh, I'm a channel. Oh, I'm learning Reiki. Oh, <laughs> all of this stuff. I kept trying to find the one thing that was me because mm -hmm. I knew I had the ability to connect. I just didn't know what that looked like really. Um, because I'd been doing a lot of exploring prior to having the stroke and the heart failure, but after it was um, different because I felt like there was that momentum of that choice that involved me finding myself. And it wasn't until I had gotten, um, I'd done a couple of sound healing certifications, which were mostly useless, <laughs> but helpful in some ways because it sparked something for my own modality. And then once I got the Reiki master, it was just kind of like everything fell into place and they were like, okay, this from this and this from that and that from that and little things that all kind of folded up like an accordion into something unique for me. Mm -hmm. So I do, um, I've been work. I, I do some intuitive stuff using cards and channeling and, and readings of that sort. But I found the most success when I do combine the intuitive side with the healing side. Um, and that's something I'm still working on how that's going to look because it's separate now because of where I work. Um, everything goes through as a healing or a reading. And I feel like that needs to be both because the people that I've helped most have done both at the same time where I'm doing the sound healing, I'm doing the Reiki, I'm doing the crystal healing, and I'm also um, intuitively giving them messages and guiding them through things. And it's interesting because the biggest thing I've noticed is that I attract a lot of people who have yet to own their stories. And that was a big thing with what happened with me. I didn't know why it had happened. I still don't know why it was necessary for me to have heart failure that severe, to have a blood clot form in my heart and then have it cause a stroke. I feel like that it's going to benefit other people to have seen that because my family runs in my family, but everybody in my family had been in denial about it. <laughs> um, it's, it's a form of dysautonomia. Um, but owning that story, owning what happened without knowing why, um, and also going back and owning all of my other stories and really saying, you know what, it's okay for me to be all these things that felt negative. Um, that was, that was right in the middle of where toxic positivity was at its height. And it was just like, oh, Live in the moment, forget the past, all those negative things that happened, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I feel very strongly that it's important for us to own those emotions. It's about, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to build despair. It's okay. It's the 
the difference is, is owning that, owning the story that it comes with and not and choosing to act in a way that is beneficial to you and others rather than kind of taking that anger out on other people or stuffing it down. Um, I, that's, those are the people I see most often, people who had denied their these traumas and the anger that they felt from them. And a lot of it is redefining trauma. And that's something that happened with me too. I still have PTSD from the stroke. Um, when I'm falling asleep and it goes through that hypno phase, um, feels very similar to the stroke. Mm. Um, so my, my heart rate spikes when I go to sleep, which isn't something I learned until years later when I was doing an Apple Watch heart study. And it kept having an alarm go off right as I was falling asleep because my heart rate spike. And I did end up having panic attacks sometimes as I was falling asleep as well. So it's redefining trauma and saying, you know, it can be a good experience, but also be traumatic because it's wires, all of our experience wires, wires themselves into our neural network. It wires themselves into our cells and owning that and then taking responsibility and accountability for it is probably the biggest thing that I've been able to help other people do. And I hope I don't sound like, <laughs> I hope I don't sound like an egotistical asshole. Um, but I really feel like the people who have gone through similar things and need to integrate trauma, um, and need to go back the way that I can go back into that space. I guide people to go back and be their own hero. You know, go back to that place of trauma and comfort or rescue um, that person because it it's all about owning their stories and becoming their own badass warrior. And I've seen people who take that to heart and who go do the work and they're different people. They're different people from the people I met initially. They're happy, they're thriving, they're fully themselves and their authentic selves. And I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna take credit for that because it's not me that did the work, it's them that did the work. I just kind of held the space and said, you know, change your perspective because if you change your perspective of owning these emotions instead of, and those experiences instead of pushing them down, be your own warrior, be your own rescuer, be your own hero. Um, that's the thing that's helped is just holding the space for them. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I, used to for years get clients who would ask me why something happened like um for instance if it had been you you would come in with this question tell me why i had that stroke why did that happen to me and you know the thing that always got came back and that's really easy for me to pull out in a moment now when somebody starts going down that why me 
um, train of thought, including myself, you know, because you get in that space. You're like, why is this happening to me? You know, you're like Job in the Old Testament or something. And it's the wrong question. You know, I think because people hear us come in after a point after we've integrated a lot of these experiences and we've evolved and we've looked for meaning and we found it and then so now we're talking about it and it maybe makes it seem like oh you're going to wake up one day on the other side of this and it's just all going to fall into place and unfortunately it never feels quite that satisfying (laughs) Um, and there are a lot of things that you just never get an answer to why and I think for me, once I allowed myself to say, you know what, that's a useless question um, because I don't believe in fate and I don't believe that everything is necessarily orchestrated or manifested or whatever. Sometimes shit happens to you, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, choosing to incarnate may be to choose to be in this chaotic situation where there's all kinds of shit that can fly at you and the question is what can you do with it what will you do with it what will I do with this experience yeah and what you just described doing for other people was your choice ultimately not only the choice to continue living, but the choice to say, this thing happened to me, I have no idea why, and I may never know, but there's something about that that allows me to hold space for other people as they click through that conundrum, or you know what I mean, as they come to that self-realization of like, oh, this crap, it's not about finding a nice hole to bury it in and yeah it's really like you said it's shadow work um i you know i've got all this scorpio in my chart so i'm all about the shadow work i'm like let's (laughs) you know let's put on some goth eyeliner and just really get into it um and to me you're right toxic positivity (laughs) oh my god yes um what a great topic for a show um (laughs) but yeah, you know what? It, it makes sense when you do tell your story in this way and you say, like, I don't really know why, but here's what I'm doing with it now. So my question to you is, I know somebody is listening, thinking, oh, my God, I want to talk to her. So be sure and tell me where people can go to find you online. Okay. Um, I am available to um, book appointments or just, you know, if you're curious about some of what I do, um, that's all on blinkinglotus.com, all one word. And I'm going to be adding things to that. I'm also on Facebook, mostly as myself. People can send me friends requests, friend friend requests is Tracy Nicole Natarajan. It's um, easier to with me on the uh, on through the web page though cool there's so many more things that we could talk about oh my gosh I like I have a page of notes <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, one thing though that I really do want to ask you because I just put a lot of words into your mouth about what it is that you're doing here um, but what do you most hope to contribute to 
this kind of universe we have here of consciousness and personal development and spirituality, what do you hope that people will take away from the space that you hold with them? I think it's interesting that you worded it that way because I really feel like my contribution to the collective spiritual consciousness is really more about holding space because I, for the people who come to me and they are, um, they resonate with that space. They resonate with what I have to offer. And then they go do the work. They fight. They go through their, um, it's interesting because it popped in my head. They go through their own garden of Gethsemane. They fight for what they want to do. They fight for their authentic selves. And once they're through that and they've done the work, they're all doing things to help people. It's like it lit up that part of themselves that now they can hold space for other people. And I feel like that's the most important thing. And I, like I said, it's horrible for me to think about it because part of me is like, don't be egotistical. I don't feel like it's me that is creating all of these authentic people who are going to go out and do good. I'm just doing what I do, holding space and helping people who want to do the work. And then I don't get to see the ripple effect. I don't get to necessarily see how many people my clientele have helped or will help. I just get to do what I'm doing. And I trust and believe and have very strongly know that whatever happens, whatever comes of it, it's going to be bigger than I can understand. And everybody has that ability. Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can also download a free ebook and a meditation to help you connect with your guides. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or with one of our featured practitioners, please go to sladeroberson.com readings. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message and answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that, hold it in your mind or speak it out loud, I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. Be open-minded about new experiences, emotions, and how messages from your intuition can take form. Answers to questions may appear in completely surprising ways right now. Vulnerability is your strength, so wear your open heart on your sleeve and express yourself freely, and I'll talk to you later.